Hello, Liturgy Guy listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler. We made it to another week, and this time I sit down with Dennis and Chris, and we talk about who celebrates when we celebrate Mass. Is it just the priest? Is it the priest and the people? Is it the angels and saints in heaven? Who celebrates? So we sit down and we answer that question, and without further ado, episode three of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. Dennis. Yes. You have a story. I do. Years and years ago, when I first came to the Liturgical Institute, Monsignor Francis Mannion was celebrating Mass on All Saints Day. And, you know, there's a few of us here, maybe four or five people in the pews and him. And, you know, I was an architectural historian, didn't know anything about liturgy, and he opened his homily by asking the question, how many are worshiping with us today? And I looked around, I saw four people in him, and in my own mind I said five. And he said, I bet you say five. And I said, how did he know that? He's a magician. Exactly. Except what he said is the communities of the liturgy are much more complex than you think because you have everyone in that room at that moment. You have everyone in the world who's celebrating mass at that moment because there's only one mass. And you're pulling back the curtain in a sense to participate in it. But it's the same mass in the parish next door and the church on the other side of the world that happens to be celebrating mass at that time. So you have the earthly communities of the liturgy. But then he also said the angels and saints in heaven are praising God as well. And so they're part of the liturgy. How many angels and saints are there? We don't really know, but they're you know, countless millions or, or whatever. And then the persons of the Trinity are praising each other as well. And then there's even a cosmic dimension of the liturgy. That is, the stars move in their orbits. They're praising God by doing what God ordained them to do. And the trees are growing up and the roots are growing down. And everything that happens according to God's plan is giving praise to God. So the communities of the liturgy are much more complex than we might think. Well, I was going to say something only slightly more intelligent. That we were talking about Jim Gaffigan, the comedian. <laughs> well, how do we go slightly more intelligent and then go <laughs> right into Jim Gaffigan? You're right. It's much more intelligent than that. <laughs> uh, he's, he has this uh, line in one of his uh, skits. says, if you haven't been to a Catholic mass for a while, it's still going on. <laughs> and I thought, you know, everybody laughed and I thought it was very funny. But actually, it's very uh, theologically true. It is still going on. It's always going on. And uh, as Dennis said, you know, what the... What, uh, what happens when we come to celebrate in the earthly liturgies, we get to plug into that eternal liturgy that is still going on. Mm-hmm. I long for the Mass, and the Mass is long for me. Yeah. There's a, uh, we, there was a student here, uh, a Father Grant, and I hope he doesn't mind me telling this story. Maybe you, you've Father heard John it. Grant. We'll, we'll just go Tulsa, yeah. <laughs> Oklahoma. Father G. We'll just say that. Father G. Okay, from here on out, we'll call for, him Father G. To be G. anonymous. And he said that... Uh, when he was a little boy, his dad told him that heaven will be just like going to Mass, oh, except for man. all eternity. That's a big mistake. Yeah, he said, oh, I just cried and cried and cried when I heard that heaven is going to be like going to Mass the whole time. But as uh, he said, as it turns out, my dad is right. That is what heaven is going to be like, is this eternal worship of, uh, of God. And that's what we were, that's what we were made to do. Uh, and so, you know, it... It will be a good and beautiful thing. Some uh, there, there's one phrase in the tradition that you know, uh, coming out of school, we're called uh, uh, we learn that man is called Homo sapiens, the wise animal. Okay, because we're we're very smart. 
what uh, this uh, stream of the tradition says is that man is homo adorans, homo adorans. He is by nature a, an adorer, a, a worshiper. And the catechism will say this at some point in there, too, that, you know, the, the men and women occupy a unique position in all of creation. So we have this uh, invisible world of uh, angelic beings, and then we have this visible world of, uh, of created things. But there's one creature who kind of stands in the gap between those two worlds. He has something in common with the angels, and he has something in common with visible uh, creation, and that's the homo adorans. That's that that's men and women who are in their uh, ontology. Have you ever heard that term before, Dennis? Ontology. I've heard the old word before. The old I've word heard that ontology study. recapitulates phylogeny, I, but I don't remember what that means. It's just something that I remember. Well, recapitulate from. is actually a very good word, Chris. Ooh, say something about is. recapitulation. Oh, right. Uh, okay. Could, Recap- you, could you pre-capitulate or post-capitulate? I suppose you could. Let's just start you with just capitulate. capitulate. Yeah, that's not liturgical. But the 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 uh, back to uh, Homo Adorans, he's he's bridging this gap in his very nature and his very being. He's he's meant to be a priest of all of creation, and what uh, what what the what those in heaven are described as as they are recapitulated in Christ. So the the caput of the capitulation That's is the head. That is the head, and the head of the church, uh, the head of all the cosmos, I suppose, is Jesus Christ. And those who have uh, uh, run the good race uh, and have made it uh, uh, to this union with heaven are firmly and eternally under the headship of Christ as members of his body. Now, those of us talking or listening can decide to opt out of that. We can remove ourselves from a communion with the mystical body. But those who uh, are angels and saints are eternally recapitulated under the headship of Jesus Christ. It's kind of amazing how your eyes sparkle when you talk about eternal recapitulation. You guys, you're genuinely enthusiastic. You cannot see the sparkle in his eyes right now. But it's true. Beautiful. It's beautiful. Absolutely true. You know, heaven, the idea of heaven being boring is like mass forever. It doesn't sound that exciting. But, you know, if you compare it to falling in love with somebody, and you just want to know more and more and more. And the closer you get, the more you discover about them. It doesn't become boring. It becomes, ideally, more and more interesting. The more intimate it becomes and the more you learn about the other person. So I sometimes suggest to people, I think, what's the most fun thing they've ever done? And how quickly time goes by when you're having fun. It's, you know, it's like making it. a podcast. Yeah, this goes so fast. And <laughs> Maybe I know not from, listening to a podcast. <laughs> That's true. Well, this one is I'm not gonna an listen to exception. This. But... You, more and more, it's like the, the flower unfurling, more and more and more. And every time that one petal of the rose opens further, it's that much more interesting. And the time goes that much more quickly. You take this out to the infinite level. And eternity is timeless because God, who's perfectly, uniquely uh, interesting, will more and more perfectly and more fully reveal himself to you forever. We try to do that liturgically. You know, Listen to the scripture, hear more about God. Watch the priestly action, hear more about God. And, you know, because of our fallen nature, it can be a little tedious. But in the heavenly perfection, it will be the most delightful thing ever to do for eternity. And it'll be done with everybody. Mom, dad, dead grandparents, all your ancestors, angels, saints, the, the Trinity. And so it's a perfect uh, action of the perfect Christ. The catechism calls uh, the liturgical Christ the, the whole Christ or the Christus totus. Uh, not just Christ of the human figure, human divine figure on the cross, but everyone membership, all the membership of the mystical body is the worshiping community. So I can say now that I'm going to go celebrate Mass? You can. Would that confuse people, though? Probably. But that's like saying you're going to go to a birthday party. <laughs> well, you can't have a party by yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to have the, the other people there and the person whose birthday it mm-hmm. is. Yeah, but if it's two people's birthday, they can con-celebrate their birthday. 
Yes, they could. <laughs> Except every being in heaven is, it's their, all their birthdays in a sense, they're becoming renewed, you know, reborn. And it's the, it's the best party ever because it's the most eternal question. What's wrong with me? How do I fix it? And then once it's fixed, you're, you're delighting in your fixedness uh, forever. There's a, uh, uh, maybe a lesser known uh, book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce, which... Uh, Isn't a lesser known? I've heard of that. Yeah. I haven't read it, but I've heard of it. Have you heard it? Well, that's a good start. <laughs> Wasn't that Donald Trump and uh, Ivanka? No, that's a different Oh No, that, oh, there was multiple editions Multiple to divorces. Or there were sequels, okay. it was a trilogy, something like that. No, the, the, this uh, particular great divorce doesn't have really anything uh, about a divorce uh, necessarily between a human uh, uh, husband and wife, but it's the divorce between heaven and earth, really. And the, uh, oh, I suppose the, 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 the reunion of heaven and earth. And in this uh, story, The Great Divorce, uh, the author, C.S. Lewis, he, he takes this uh, dream and he wakes up and he takes this bus ride to, uh, to heaven. And what heaven is, is uh, it's this new world. It's the real world. And uh, it's different, though. It's, it takes a lot of acclimation to, to get used to it. The, the, the blades of grass are very, uh, very hard and pointy beneath his feet. And at one point, it, it rains, and the raindrops are like uh, lead balls falling on his skin, or there's a waterfall. And the, the noise of it is so deafening. Everything is so real, much more real than... Uh, this world of the Shadowlands that we uh, happen to live in here. It, it, make, it makes for a very good uh, uh, liturgical analogy, similar to what you're saying, Dennis, is that what happens in the liturgy, this is, uh, I think the word is ascesis, which is the root of asceticism. It's, it means training, like an athlete trains. for the root the, of the word exercise as well. Is that I'm right? learning a ton about exercise. root words through this. Yeah. This is great. <laughs> The, uh, uh, the liturgy, the sacramental liturgy, which we uh, join in, you know, uh, for an hour at a time on a, any particular day. Sunday depends on who's saying Depends on yeah. how long that homily is, isn't it, Jesse? Then uh, uh, this is our training for the eternal liturgy that's taking place in heaven. It's our ascesis so that when we get off that, you know, God willing, that heavenly bus ride to, uh, to the heavenly homeland, you know, it, it's like we know how to live there. Uh, because we've been going there, we've been, as you said, we've been singing their songs, we've been talking their language, we've been uh, uh, focusing on uh, the core of Jesus Christ. So, you know, it's a place we've visited many times before. We've talked about why liturgy matters to do it properly, so that you can be conformed to heaven more fully. But it's also why sin matters, because if you want to be an athlete at the Olympic level, say, you can't learn your sport in a way that will not be excellent. You're, you know, if you're a golfer, you're going to get your sports psychologist and you're going to have them, you know, twiddle your thumb and turn it around so that you have the right angle when you hit the ball. And if you just say, forget it, I'm going to do it whatever I, whatever I want. That's a step away from growing toward perfection. I think we tend to see sin as this kind of black mark or great demerit in the sky, you know, that we're going to be punished forever. It's not so much that God's angry at our sin. What could, what could God uh, think about our sin other than we're leaving him? You know, what parent would say, I'm mad at my child for stepping away from me. They'd say, I'm sorry, I'm sad that he stepped away from me. And if he comes back, they'll be rejoicing because he wants his son to be glorified. And so liturgy is the way that you become what you're meant to become. It's doing the world as the world was meant to be done, as they say. So how can we, you know, where we are sinful, you know, concupiscence and the, the tendency to sin. So how, how can we celebrate and be, you know, a part of this when you know, by nature, by who we are, we have that tendency to sin and to move away from that, that perfect joy, that perfect liturgy. Well, it will always be imperfect. 
right? But it's primarily Christ's action. So even if it's imperfect, Christ takes our imperfect prayer, joins it to his perfect prayer, and offers it to the Father. Our goal is to make it as perfect as it can be and participate as perfectly as we can be, but we'll always have, we'll always be on the other side of the bridge, but Christ will always be that bridge. Mm. And it'll always be work, too. It'll always be effort. You know, as we said... Man. <laughs> sorry about that. Oh. As, as, work is said, the worst. Just the... Uh, well, you can't say that because liturgy is work. Uh, Remember, the, the root it, of it, it. Okay. is air god. It's work. Uh, it's not a spectator sport. It's not like going to a movie. It's, uh, you, you know, if you went to, uh, to see that Mel Gibson, uh, The Passion of the Christ, I mean, you, you're a, a passive participant in something that's going on up in front of you. But when you go to the Mass or any of the, uh, the sacraments, anything liturgical, Liturgy of the Hours, Funerals, Blessings, you're not a, you're not a, a passive participant. You're a worker. You're a worker. You're, you're, you're joining a, a body, mind, and soul in this uh, great work. So that's one thing is to realize it's always going to take work. Just like, you know, we all have, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we try to get in shape. Uh, we try to, to break bad habits. We try to form new habits. And it's a daily struggle that it seems like it takes forever to build up a good habit and a second to lose it. So just like humanly, you know, the virtues take a long time to acquire. So uh, it, divinely or supernaturally too, it takes a lot uh, as well. Yeah, it's like a sports team, you know, it's, n it's not an individual act. You are doing a lot of work to achieve a perfect action among a group of people. And you might have a coach or you might have a, the captain of the team who's gonna lead you. Um, but you can step away from your disciplined work in supporting of the whole team, or you can do it. And the more you do it, the better you'll become. And the more the group does it together as one uh, unit, the better they'll be as, as a team. And so if the mystical body is, is the team and Christ is the head, you want to be joined to your head and you want to do all that you need to do to become glorified. You know, I've heard you say this before, Dennis, that uh, um, the, the word uh, cosmos means order and beauty. And in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, he, he made the cosmos, and everything worked in a very orderly, beautiful uh, way. What our sin did was introduce uh, chaos, and everything became disordered and confused. Uh, what, what Jesus does in his act of uh, salvation is he restores, but not just back to its original state, he restores and perfects it to, to an even, even to greater degree. I mean, you... You've said that the root of the word cosmetics is cosmos. Right. So when you wake up in the morning, you're all your 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 face I, and I your no no no, no, no yeah. I'm not talking about you. One Justin. would. Yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, just hypothetically speaking, mm -hmm. that uh, uh, you know your hair, uh, a person's hair could be messed up and all the rest. And so what what do you do in the mornings? You put on cosmetics, you know, to fix your hair and your eyes and you know lipstick. Whenever that might, not you, mm -hmm. Jesse, right. but one would. I've yeah, been trying one to would. talk him out of that. But. Right. <laughs> and so, what the liturgy is, is the great cosmetic of creation, or the great sort of cosmetic of the mystical body of Christ, which is already one holy Catholic and apostolic, but it's still on its way to that, uh, that fullness, that full stature in Christ. And so the liturgy is the world's reordering principle. The cosmification of the world. Cosmification. The is that a word? Cosmification. I, just, I think I just made it up. Ooh. But the opposite of cosmos is chaos, right? Chaos is disorder. Chaos is sin. And you think of most of the things humans do, usually they're acting towards some kind of good, but they may not, or at least perceive good. But it's not really in the right place. They're not directing their energy in the right direction. They want some kind of money, so they might steal it, but it's not an ordered act because it's not ordered to the proper end. And if all the things we did were properly restored and put in the right place in the right order, then we could just be delighting the things of heaven. And part of this ordering principle is you know, if we were going to speak about uh, coming together to celebrate the liturgy, right? It's, uh, 
it's really this unification and divinization and theosification and cosmification. Theosification. What did you say? Cosmification. 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 Okay. No, right. that's of, the opposite. Oh, okay. Yeah. Of, uh, of heaven and earth. Right. So, for example, I think in the catechism where it, where it asks this question, who celebrates the liturgy? Almost like uh, Monsignor Mannion asked uh, early on, you know, who's celebrating the liturgy right now? You know, you could have been tempted to say the five of us or maybe, you know, the priest who's up there in the sanctuary. What, how the catechism answers this question is, is in kind of three categories. First, it will say the primary actors in the liturgy are God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are the ones who are carrying out this work of glorification and sanctification. They're the principal workers. Second, though, it says the, the, those who celebrate with the Trinity, the persons of the Trinity, are all of those in heaven. The Blessed Virgin Mary, the Archangel, the, the hierarchy of angels, of the saints, the prophets, the martyrs, the virgins, the 144,000, the new creation, all the rest. It hasn't even mentioned any of us yet. Finally, it will get to us and say, it is in this eternal liturgy which we, the, which we, we, we join when we come together to celebrate the sacramental liturgy. And all of that, from the Trinity, those in heaven, and those on earth, all of us join in this celebration, this great celebration of the liturgy. And so in another point in the catechism, it will say that uh, uh, it's the whole assembly that is the liturgist, because everybody in that mystical body of Christ is carrying out this priestly work of glorification and sanctification. Uh, you just hit one all, of my hot button words, Chris. Anybody who knows me knows there are certain words that set me off, and assembly is one of them because... I thought it was space and space. environment. We'll talk about that another time, but space is, a, is another one. But assembly is a much different word from gathering. We use the word gather. We gather for this. We gather for that. And gather is right, you know. Gather your people. Right. And God does gather his people into one place. But then they assemble into the image of the mystical body of Christ. So there's head and there's members. And, you know, Vatican II is very clear that the sacramental reality of all the members is um, arranged hierarchically. And hierarchy is a word we tend not to like because it sounds like you know, 18th century uh, nobles, you know, oppressing the poor. But we're talking about the right things in the right places. And so the head is where the head goes and the members are where the members go. And so that arrangement liturgically plays out. Priests do certain things, lectors do certain things, people in the pews do certain things, the uh, music ministers do certain things. And when all of those things are assembled properly, then the image of the mystical body is formed among these many members. This is why um, Christians are called living stones in the New Testament. Because if you just take a pile of... I was of wondering rocks, if you were going to mention that. Oh, we've got to get been to architecture to. <laughs> somehow. But if you just take a dump truck and dump a pile of rocks, you have a gathering of rocks. But then the stonemasons come along and they cut each one and put them all in the right place. And suddenly you have a church. That's an assemblage. And so assembling everything together is different from just throwing everything together in a pile. This uh, term uh, hierarchy that you mentioned, Dennis, and here's uh, maybe another etymological insight, Jesse, that oh, maybe so excited it may, well, maybe true. The etymologification of Etymological. the podcast. Wow. Yeah. I don't uh, even know if these are real words. You could just be making them up. <laughs> I would never know. This uh, word, uh, uh, this is a student actually who suggested this to me. He was, uh, and it comes out of uh, 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 the false Dennis. Uh, Dionysus, the pseudo Apagite? Yeah, I think yes. that's the one. What? Uh, yes. Yeah. Who uh, talks about this term hierarchy. Now, what, what an archie or arche means is to order. You know, like these stones you were talking about, they're not just randomly spread out. There's a particular order. I think that's probably the work of, uh, or the, the, of the term architecture. It's, it's, it's putting these pieces together. So uh, a hierarchy means an ordering 
or a structure. Now this first part, hieros, I think means uh, probably priestly or sacred. As far as I can tell, like a hieroglyphics is, is a sacred type of writing. For our purposes, what hierarchy truly means is not, first of all, that the archbishop or father's in charge or something like that. It means that the whole church is hierarchical. It's an ordering of priests, and that everybody who's in this body is a priest, uh, sharing in the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And so everybody who's in this uh, hierarchy has a sacrifice, because this is what priests do, is they have sacrifices to offer. And the thing that they offer is ultimately themselves along with that sacrifice of Jesus back to the Father. So when, when we come to, together to celebrate, you know, from, from the smallest baptized person to, uh, to, to the bishop who's celebrating at the altar, whoever it might be, you know, everybody in there is a priest. Everybody has something to offer. You know, we mentioned before, we hear this at the, what they call the orate fratres. Mm -hmm. uh, pray that my sacrifice and yours. So every time we hear that, we should be thinking, hmm, I guess I have a sacrifice uh, to offer. Uh, and this is what all of the celebrants of the liturgy, whether they're on earth, whether they're in heaven, are doing is offering themselves to, along with Jesus in the Holy Spirit to God the Father. Amen. That's great. That's absolutely great. Mm -hmm. So and I, and and Dennis, you kind of talked about this before, but you know when I asked you about you know being sinful or you know like chaos, um, you know you were you were you then talked about you know pushing everything. You continue to do it. You continue to grow closer and closer and closer. And I think that's something that's really helped me understand some of this because, sure, I mean you can tell me when I go to mass like oh all the angels are there, all you know everybody is there. It's this really great thing, but. You know, just because I'm I'm a human being, I can't I can't physically see any of that. So it's really hard for me to understand that. But, uh, but you can, Jesse. You can. <laughs> but then, but then on top of that, you know, we have this you know beautiful, perfect sacrifice, one that I am unworthy of because of you know who I am and what I have done. But but through this, I can continually be renewed. You were talking earlier about. Um, you know, the bread, you know, eating, eating the bread, but being better afterwards. Um, and that's something that, you know, through this conversation has been able, helped me to be able to understand this in, in, a, in a more practical way, me sitting in the pew, you know, being a worker, being actively involved. And I think that's really what's important is, um, you know, we, we talk colloquially, like the, the priest is, what is who celebrates Mass, you know, made that joke, but um, but no, we, we're, we're a part of that too. But everybody in the pew is a priest, mm -hmm. but they're not acting as the head. And so you hear the phrase sometimes, the priests act in persona Christi, in the person of Christ. That means mm -hmm. sacramentally, you know, Christ is in heaven. Of course, he's here too, but we can't encounter him through the senses unless we see someone who's becoming an icon of Christ. And an icon is a, like a sacrament is an earthly material thing made of the substance of the earth that nonetheless reveals a spiritual heavenly reality. So the Priest acts in persona Christi capitis, in the person of Christ the head, and then everybody in the pews acts in, the, in persona Christi as well, but not the head. And so the head takes all the prayers and petitions of all the members and then offers them to God. And, but doesn't mean that the members don't have prayers and petitions to offer, but they're offered through the headship of the priest, just as they're offered through the headship of Christ. So when that priest does say, pray that my sacrifice and yours, what we as uh, members of, of the assembly, uh, as members of the body, need to have been doing is offering all of those prayers and petitions and uh, all that we have uh, back to 
uh, back to God, to put them on the altar along with that sacrifice that through the priest's hands will be offered to God. And so the, you know, the, the offertory or the preparation of the gifts and of the altar is, is a very uh, crucial time uh, to be offering those things to God. All and the, those and the collect too, right? Isn't that a time where we can bring our prayers? To yeah, them? well, that's, that's true too. When the priest says, let us pray, there's supposed to be a pause. And mm-hmm. what that term, let us pray, means, oddly enough, is... Let us pray. Let us pray. That's right. And so when the priest says, let us pray, we should be praying. And then the, the priest uh, collects those things and through the prayer of the church gives those to God. So if we go to, if we go to Mass... Uh, and we're not giving, if, if, right? yeah, just if. If, yeah. if we would go to mass, but not give anything over to God, then uh, um, again, we're not really truly participating in this saving work. It's something very simple to do right before the major elevation. You know, I was just going to ask, you know, what, what can we practice? What yeah. can we do practically? Think for a second. Who do I, who do I want to be transformed in my life by being given to God as a sacrifice and coming back glorified. Well, there's always yourself. So give away your sins. Give away your weaknesses. Give away your strengths. Give away your goods. I would give love away to your give family. away my sins. Just well, th- but that's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly right. I give this to God and it comes back better than it was before. So think of all the people in your life who are sick. Angel, take this to God's altar in heaven and bring it back glorified. That's a very like simple a way machine. to participate. Yeah, there's uh, some of you might know the uh, maybe you two do the the morning offering, which is a part of the uh, devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and it's a prayer that says, uh, "If I can remember it, uh, O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day, offered uh, in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world." And so this is something I try to uh, uh, teach to my kids during the offertory: is to say during that during the preparation. What are the things you're praying for, you're joyful for, you're suffering about? All of those things. Put those into the collection basket. Put those into the chalice. Put those on the paten. And all, whether they're your sins, your joys, whatever they are, they'll go to God. He'll take them, he'll transform them, and he'll give them back to you perfected in a way that will transform you to be like him. This is so much more interesting than I better go to church or I'm afraid of hell, isn't it? Right. This is opportunity language. This is or, not or heaven language. When you go to Mass, that's what heaven is. It is, but when you hear that at first, you're just like, and if you don't know these things, if you don't know, you know, the the background of all of this, and I think that can be really hard to understand. You want to be Arnold Schwarzenegger someday? The first day, you're not going to look like him when you Mm -hmm. go lift weights. But the second day, you're a little bit closer. You'll also not look like him. And it's work, and you hopefully get results when you're done. And Mm -hmm. so in the eternal realm, St. Peter, you know, meets you at the gate of heaven when you're dead and says, uh, are you ready to be here? It's not... I didn't commit a sin or I followed the law. It's I've been doing this every Sunday or every day for 85 years. I am the spiritual Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? <laughs> There's a place in there that I'm ready to be in. And that's the much better way to approach what liturgy does for us, I think. Wow. Fantastic, gentlemen. Now I, now I have a better understanding of who celebrates in the liturgy. It's about time, Jesse. It's about time. You think it's time, Chris? I think right. it's time to answer an email question. What do you think? I think let's do it. Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? All right, are you guys ready for another Liturgy Guys Mm -hmm. question? Ready. All right, this is uh, from Anonymous, and Anonymous says, Our parish is currently in the midst of a spiritual adoption campaign. The leaders of the campaign have started putting pictures of a baby's development on the front of the ambo, using it as a bulletin board. 
We also put things like banners about our German Fest raffle drive or our new parish app on huge pictures that if they are not in the sanctuary, they are in front of the sanctuary steps. Is this something that is allowed? Well, the question about what's allowed is always difficult to ask because the church does not forbid every possible right or what, wrong Yeah, why wrong would they thing? write that specifically? In Where does it say you can't wheel up a birthday cake at a Christmas Mass? Where does it say you can't set the church on fire, right? You just presume that people are not going to do ridiculous things or they're not going to do inappropriate things. And so you do what you're told and you hopefully make smart uh, decisions. So then what you have to step back and think about is the principle. You know, what is the nature of an altar? What's the nature of an ambo? You know, an altar signifies Christ. The ambo is the place from which the gospels are proclaimed, the word of God is spoken. And so the job of an ambo is to uh, extend that visually, extend the gospel visually out to the world. So sometimes you will see ornament on an ambo, like the four evangelists or an eagle, because those are things related to the very nature of proclamation of the gospel. And so ornament, by definition, in any tradition um, will increase the legibility of the thing itself. So sometimes you see these Last Supper plaster uh, things hanging on altars because it's the altar is a fulfillment of the Last Supper. But using an altar as kind of a museum wall to hang a piece of art isn't quite right. It would be like hanging the picture of the Last Supper on the priest when he's walking up uh, the aisle to say he's about to be Jesus at the Last Supper. So I would say, generally speaking, things that are good but not liturgically related should be in places where everybody can see them, the bulletin board in the vestibule, for instance. They can make announcements about them. But properly speaking, if you wouldn't see them in the heavenly Jerusalem, you probably shouldn't see them in the sanctuary of your church. Chris, do you have anything to add or subtract? <laughs> no, I, I stand behind that answer. Well, Thank you, Chris. If you would like to submit your own liturgy question, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com. Thank you very much, and God bless. The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition.